Welcome to Newspoint 360, the online news platform dedicated to making space for credible expert commentary. To see full video interviews with our guests, check out our new channel on YouTube. Newspoint 360 is supported by Expert File. Wildfires raged along the West Coast this summer, and so did misinformation about them. Images of burning homes and fleeing California residents are tough to look away from, and the impact of wildfires on rural communities is devastating. But living in a fire zone is putting humans and their belongings increasingly at risk. And it appears that that's also fueling speculation about whether these fires are occurring naturally, if they're a side effect of climate change, or whether human activity is affecting them. What do we largely misunderstand about forest wildfires when we're distracted by the drama of the flames? Newspoint 360 speaks to a wildlife expert, Southern Utah University Associate Professor of Biology, Dr. Jacqueline Grant, to find out what's true and what's smoke. Fire has always been a natural and naturally beneficial part of the Western landscape in North America, but scientists are noting a change in the frequency and intensity of wildfires. Dr. Jacqueline Grant is an associate professor of biology at Southern Utah University, director of the Garth and Jerry Frainer Museum of Natural History. She's an award-winning experiential educator and an expert on conservation biology. Thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Historically, the wildfire season in the West begins in the summer and ends late fall, and Canada has been quite lucky this year with a relatively slow wildfire season. But south of the border, many are saying this is the worst in 18 years. What's the difference between a natural versus unnatural fire cycle, and what are the methods that we use to understand them a bit better? Some of the differences between a natural and an unnatural fire cycle are just the intensity and size of the fires. So what we tend to see here in Utah, at least, is that the unnatural fires tend to be caused by humans instead of being caused by lightning. We see many more fires that are caused by humans than by lightning here in southern Utah. And what we see is because of how humans have changed the landscape and we have more monoliths of forests. So what that means is we have lots of habitat where it hasn't burned in a really long time. And when you have a situation like that, you tend to get a more intense fire that spreads further than you would want it to. Besides human interaction, what are some of the other primary causes of wildfires in the past and presently? So in the past, Right, we've had lightning caused fires. That would be your, your major cause of fire. Uh, as we move forward in time and we see a changing climate, we see some intensification in different parts of the world because the temperature is getting hotter. When you have a higher temperature, you have more energy in the environment, which means you have a, a greater chance that you're going to get a fire. Uh, we also have more people in the environment doing the things that people do when they're in the environment, such as shooting exploding targets or accidentally dragging chains that cause sparks or not putting their campfires out all the way. Well, there are actually some very real benefits for natural fires, for native plants and for bees. Yes, there are. Uh, for example, when you have a habitat that is all one kind of tree and that tree grows in and covers up the canopy, the, the trees don't let sunlight into the 
forest floor. And we need the sunlight to get into the forest floor to help plants grow that make flowers. So trees, right, generally don't make flowers. Some of them do, but our trees in our western forests tend to be aspens and uh, pine trees, different types of conifers. And they have flowers, but not in the way that you think of flowers that you would give someone in a bouquet of flowers. And bees, right, they grow or they go after oftentimes those low growing plants that have the really pretty flowers that we think about that are full of nectar and attractants for bees. So when we have a patchy forest that's a more natural forest that is burned sporadically over the years in different intensities and in for different lengths of time, then we have some parts of the forest that are open and bright and lots of wildflowers grow in those little patches. And we have other patches of the forest that are darker and don't have so many flowers. So we need that variety, right? We need that change of habitat, different types of habitat to suit all the different kinds of bees that there are. And in Utah, there are around a thousand different kinds of bees which is really surprising to some people because they think that, oh, there's a honeybee and bumblebees and your average person, that's what they think about. Well, what role does forest management play in terms of prevention? So for forest management, there are different options. We can log forests and we see that can be very effective, but it can also be fairly detrimental. If we log all of the forest, then the next couple of years after that, we have regrowth of plants and trees that are all the same age. And when they burn, they're gonna burn with a pretty high intensity and there won't be any breaks in the forest to stop those burns. But logging can be effective. We can use prescribed fire, but prescribed fire costs a lot of money. So there's a trade-off between fighting fires that are threatening people's homes and using that same money to burn a controlled fire or a prescribed fire to help burn out the underbrush and the different parts of the, the unnatural growth, we'll say, in the forest understory. We can also use techniques like chaining, which is where they drag gigantic chains behind heavy equipment and they pull down some of the trees in those forests. So in the West, we see a lot of chaining of um, pinions and junipers, which are a dominant tree type, two, two different dominant tree types in the area. And that gets rid of the trees for sure, but it also makes real people really upset because that chaining activity is not really attractive. It, it kind of wrecks the forest afterwards. Um, but what you will often see is a regrowth of the understory after a chaining event. And another one that's really just impressive is bull hogging. And bull hogging is when they take a basically a giant tree shredder so big that it can cover an entire grown tree and they just shred it up into little bits and pieces to get rid of it. Well, with this growing intensity of wildfires, the risk to people and property is also rising because of the sprawl into wildfire prone areas known as the wildland urban interface. What are the implications of that? That's where our biggest problems lie, right? Society makes choices as to where people are going to live and what they're going to do when they get there. The overall rate of fires is, is it is intensified, but it's all relative depending on how far back in time you go. 
But what we know for sure has intensified is human pressure on the WUI, that wildland urban interface. So our human populations are growing and we're getting people moving for all different kinds of reasons, not just because they want to live in the trees. Sometimes they're escaping different urban conditions or high costs of living in other areas. And when we have that mix of a landscape that's adapted to fire, where fire is a natural thing and it's filling up with people in their homes and the homes are not adapted to fire, what we, we get is a pretty bad mix there where there's lives endangered and property uh, also endangered. Well, as you said earlier, we've seen significantly changing weather patterns, drought, even pest infestations. How significant is climate change as a contributor? In the Intermountain West, where I live in Utah, it's a pretty big factor. And the reason for that is it's drying us out. We're seeing problems with water all over the Intermountain West. And the temperature, again, is increasing. So that adds more energy to the environment. So what might have been a little fire can now become a bigger fire. And we're also seeing the vegetation itself just dry up. And when it dries up, it becomes more prone to catching on fire. So less water, higher temperatures, we're going to see more fire. That's just a perfect combination of factors to cause fires to start, especially when you throw in all those people who are out recreating and living on the forest. And this year in Utah, we've seen just an amazing number of people trying to escape the coronavirus and leaving urban areas and coming out and living for two, three weeks at a time in campers and using the forest much more heavily than we've seen in the past. You know, that leads us to a great question. What role can individuals, homeowners, and even the corporate community play in terms of harnessing a firewise approach? Exactly. So there's a whole field of study for what firewise landscaping. And what that means is, first of all, just looking around your yard and your neighbor's yards and looking at what is growing in my yard. Is it a flammable plant? Is it close to my house? Can I put something smaller in there and get the same effect? It's really hard for humans to cut down trees in their yards because trees are, we have an emotional attachment to those trees. They give us shade, they provide some space for birds to live and maybe some insects that we might like to watch. But if they're too close to your house and they're a conifer like a juniper or a pinion pine, those trees are very, very flammable, much more flammable than a deciduous tree like say an oak or a maple tree. And what, what you wanna do is make sure you have a defensible space around your house where the plants are very low, if you have any plants at all, and they're less flammable than other types of plants. So wispy grass, grasses, wispy grasses catch on fire. Um, you can have different kinds of grasses that aren't quite so flammable. A cactus doesn't catch on fire as much as some other kinds of plants do. And definitely look at the ratio of the kinds of trees you have in the yard. Everybody wants to have that shade, especially in the Intermountain West, but you, you need that mix of, is it the tree gonna catch on fire? And is that worth the shade that it might give me for a few months out of the year? Even developers at this point should be looking at how they're building homes in these parts of the world. Have you seen any change at all in that regard? 
You know, not not quite where I live. I live in rural southern Utah, but in new developing communities in other states in this area, we see some uh, homeowner agreements going in that are very strict, like no lawns in the front yard and no trees close to the house, no huge clumps of trees. And, you know, it it's a form of regulation and not everyone's going to enjoy living in that type of neighborhood, but they are going to be safer because a homeowners association can fine you for having too much uh, dead or dying tree material or plants in your yard that could catch fire. Well, it is clear that wildfires are changing beyond historical experience. Dr. Grant, thank you so much for helping us to understand the various issues that are at play here. Sure thing. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to NewsPoint 360, supported by Expert File, the world's largest open curated network of experts on over 40,000 subjects used by leading news organizations. Don't forget to review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. To see full video interviews with our guests, check out the NewsPoint 360 channel on YouTube. Thanks for listening.